Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I am your host, Mark Shapiro. Before we get to today's episode, a thank you to Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring this episode. Creighton University believes in equipping physicians for success in the exam room, the operating room, and the boardroom. If you want to increase your business acumen, deepen your leadership knowledge, and earn your seat at the table, Creighton's healthcare executive education is for you. Specifically tailored to busy physicians, our hybrid programs blend the richness of on-campus residencies with the flexibility of online learning. Earn a Creighton University Executive MBA degree in 18 months or complete the non-degree Executive Fellowship in six months. Visit www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E to learn more. Thank you also to the Clinician Experience Project by Practicing Excellence for sponsoring this episode. The Clinician Experience Project provides coaching and development solutions for clinicians, leaders, and teams working in some of the nation's largest hospitals and healthcare systems. As a leading provider of clinician-designed content, the Clinician Experience Project team partners with clients to deploy skill-building programs that map directly to organizational goals, delivering measurable enterprise-wide results. To learn more about how your organization can improve patient and organizational outcomes, visit www.practicingexcellence.com. This is a very special episode of Explore the Space podcast. This is a replay of The Coach and the Congressman which was part of Rock the Ride 2021, a conversation with Congressman Mike Thompson of the California 5th District and Golden State Warriors head coach Steve Kerr. Rock the Ride was started four years ago as an effort to work towards gun violence prevention in the United States and speaking with Congressman Thompson and Coach Kerr around the issue of gun violence in the United States, the current state and actionable steps to move forward in this work was just absolutely amazing. This is not rehashed, warmed over talking points. This is actionable, compelling material that you can use as a toolbox to move forward. If this is material that is important to you that you want to engage with and better understand how to get involved, this is a great place to start. You can check out the entire archive of Explore the Space podcast wherever you'd like to download your shows. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, we're on all of them. And the whole archive is at www.explorethespaceshow.com. You can email me, mark at explorethespaceshow.com anytime. You can check me out on Twitter at ETS Show. Without further ado, here is from Rock the Ride 2021, the coach and the congressman with Congressman Mike Thompson and Golden State Warriors head coach Steve Kerr. Good afternoon. Welcome to Rock the Ride 2021. Hope you all were able to get out and ride, run, or walk in support of gun violence prevention. While we at Rock the Ride are excited about California opening back up during the COVID-19 pandemic, we decided to keep this year's event virtual, and we are glad you can be with us today. I'm Dr. Mark Shapiro of Explore the Space podcast, and I'll be today's moderator for The Coach and the Congressman as we dive into our Rock the Ride Voices of Change on Gun Violence Prevention. I'm honored to be part of today's session, bringing together two advocates who transcend the world of politics and sports. Congressman Mike Thompson of the California 5th District, which is my district as well. He's also the chairman of the Gun Violence Prevention Task Force. And Steve Kerr, coach of the Golden State Warriors and NBA champion as both player and coach, who is also a powerful advocate on multiple public health issues. We have much to discuss over this next hour. For those who may be new to us, Rock the Ride is an annual event which began on a 2018 Napa Valley bike ride with Congressman Thompson, Napa County Sheriff John Robertson, and Ride Napa Valley event production owner Rebecca Koch in the aftermath of the 2018 Marjorie Stoneham Douglas High School shooting in Parkland, Florida, and the Pathway Home tragedy in Yountville, California. These two shootings were within three weeks of each other. That same year, the Southern California borderline mass shooting took the life of beloved 18-year-old Napa resident and Pepperdine student Elena Housley. Elena's Voice Foundation became a Rock the Ride beneficiary in 2019 and also inspired the Enough Cycling and Soccer Kits. Proceeds from Rock the Ride events like today's support four incredible gun violence prevention organizations. Every Town for Gun Safety and Moms Demand Action, Giffords Law Center, 
Elena's Voice Foundation, and Affirm Research. Please visit www.rocktheridenapa.com to learn more. It's now my privilege to introduce Congressman Mike Thompson from the California 5th District, who led the House passage of H.R. 8, his Bipartisan Background Checks Act, and he is a tireless legislator on this issue. Hello, Congressman. Hello, Mark. Good to be with you. Great to have you here, sir. Thank you for joining us again. I'd also like to offer a warm welcome to Steve Kerr, who has experienced firsthand the tragedy of gun violence, and he is an outspoken advocate on the need for increased gun safety measures in our country. Coach Kerr, welcome. Thanks. Good to be here with you, Mark. Let's get started. I always like to start things like this from a, a high level sort of strategic view that the, the, the balloon, the hot air balloon looking out and giving a, a, a broad scope of things. And Congressman, I think you can help us with that. We're in a really unique moment in American history as we sit here in the middle of 2021. We're coming out of a pandemic. In our region, we're kind of looking down the barrel now of wildfire season. We've just come through a tumultuous presidential election. And as we are emerging with all of these things, we are still dealing with the epidemic of gun violence in the United States. From where you sit, what is your sense of the appetite for the work of where we are with addressing, acknowledging, kind of tackling where things were at begin before the pandemic, during the pandemic, and now where we sit today? How would you assess that strategic view? Well, it's still a very important uh, issue. It, uh, it it's only a partisan issue in the halls of Congress. The bill that uh, I was able to get passed out of the House, two Congresses in a row now, uh, is over in the Senate. It's uh, it's uh, languishing o- over there. But uh, that's a bill to expand background checks to make sure we're doing everything we can to ensure that uh, criminals and the dangerously mentally ill uh, aren't able to get their hands on on guns. And across the United States of America. of the people support this. Yet in Congress, uh, we have trouble uh, getting it uh, out of the House. Uh, We we did pass it uh, on March 10th, and I I did it with uh, Democratic and Republican members of Congress voting for it, uh, both Democrats and Republicans co-authoring it. But now over in the Senate, uh, and I, I, I talked to the Senate manager yesterday, Chris Murphy from Connecticut, and he'd been working with John Cornyn, Republican from Texas, and those talks broke down uh, late last week, early or this week. And so now he's working with Lindsey Graham, who wants to really narrow the bill to make it only apply to gun shows. Now that's a, that's better than where we are now. And uh, if if they could guarantee a, a vote and passage of that, I. I'd be happy with that and, and go back to work on expanding it in the, in the next Congress. But they we're not even sure that uh, if we if we if we acquiesce to that, could we get could we get it passed? So it's it's a little troubling that uh, the Senate is being so partisan on this and it's so political in the Senate, because, as I said, across the country, people know this isn't a partisan issue. Two hundred and seventy seven mass shootings this year alone. 20,000 gun violence deaths this year alone. 30 people every day killed by someone using a gun. It it needs to stop. It's a public health epidemic. It costs taxpayers uh, close to $300 billion a year. Shouldn't be partisan. This is something that should sail out of the Senate. And I know President Biden is waiting to sign it into law. I appreciate that context setting, and I, I want to specifically call out that you refer to gun violence in the United States as a public health issue. I think that many people doing what I do in the world of healthcare have have really found that resonant language, have have really embraced that and understood that where when we were in training, when I was a medical student and a resident, we didn't talk about this. There was no nomenclature. There was no language around this. It was It was territory that we didn't wade into. And that was an opportunity lost. And I think a lot of us are trying to now rebuild that and learn the skills that we leverage with other public health issues to try to start to move the needle. Coach Kerr, when you think of public health issues and moving the needle and leveraging a skill set, was this something that for you felt like easy work? Not so much to step into an issue where there's tremendous tension, but 
in terms of having skills to be a part of the conversation, to engage with people, was it an easy thing to do or were there barriers that you felt like you had to overcome? Well, it was an easy decision to, to enter into the conversation, Morgan, and I'll tell you how it, it happened. Um, you know, in the NBA, we have moments of silence frequently um, for, you know, people who have passed away, uh, maybe an NBA legend, you know, somebody who worked for the league, you know, you'll have a moment of silence pregame. But in 2016, during the playoffs, I think we had three consecutive moments of silence before the game uh, to, <clears throat> to honor the fallen victims of mass shootings. The third one was the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando. And I just remember standing there during the national anthem, having another moment of silence and thinking, here we are, third one in a, you know, about a month, and we're not doing anything about it. And, and what's, what's the point of a moment of silence? I mean, it, it, unless you actually follow through with, with some action. So I decided at that point to speak up and I, I began to do so. Um, I realized quickly I needed to educate myself further. I think I referred to um, an AR-15 as an automatic weapon when it's a semi-automatic weapon. Um, details that matter to, to in this issue, phrases that you use. I, I learned that um, you know, gun control is the wrong phrase, you know, because it's it's sort of you're 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 suggesting you're taking away somebody's freedom. So gun safety, um, you know, is a much better phrase to use. So, you know, I basically entered the fray. I started talking about it. I started educating uh, myself about it. And the best way that I can help is to lend my name, uh, lend my voice um, to various uh, organizations like some of the ones you mentioned already. Uh, and Giffords and and uh, the Brady campaign. And uh, so I help with fundraising. I speak up when I can. It's something I'm very passionate about and I'm trying to trying to learn more every day. I love juxtaposition and I like that it was a moment of silence that then brought you to a place where you found that you needed to use mm. your voice. I think that that's a really powerful and resonant message. The need to educate ourselves is also, I would agree, really important. Certainly in the world of medicine, we all have a tremendous amount of work to do on those same things that you speak about, developing the faculty to talk about these issues with people, to be able to ask people, are there guns in the home? Can we talk about gun safety? These sorts of things. Congressman, when you think about the top, the, the issue of educating the public, of public understanding of guns, our gun culture, gun safety, where do you like to refer people? Where do you like to start those conversations and how do you help people build that sense of knowledge so that they can have a sense of ownership? That's an excellent uh, question, Mark. And uh, it is important to be educated on this issue because as the coach said, if you're talking about this and, and you use the wrong phrase or the wrong nomenclature, the, the other side takes you right off the tracks. Right and off the track. doesn't yeah. know what he's talking about. He called it this, he called it that. And, yeah. and so uh, that doesn't help in the, in the discussion. And, and I found that to be the case uh, in, with my colleagues in, in, in the House. Uh, I've been having, uh, every year, I've been having seminars. I bring an expert in to talk to not only members of Congress, but also staff members. This is what the parts of the gun are. It's a magazine. It's not a clip. It's a semi-automatic, not an automatic. All the things that, you know, and, and, and they're, they're, when, when someone uh, confuses uh, the, the nomenclature, it, it's not because they uh, don't know what's going on or, or they're, they're trying to provoke uh, something. It's just, you know, the, the idea that magazines are referred to as clips. I know longtime hunters that refer to magazines as clips. But when you get in this debate, you've got to get the names right. So uh, I, I really try hard to uh, to do that. And, and we've had good luck. Uh, I, I think uh, Democratic members of Congress and Democratic staff probably know more about guns today than they've, <laughs> they've ever known uh, ever known before. And uh, I, I'd like to just uh, mention uh, two other things, Mark, if, if I can. Um, one, you referenced uh, uh, Coach Kerr's speaking up on, on this. And, and I, I just think it needs to be said that he's been there from the beginning. This isn't, uh, this isn't some you know, late coming deal. 
And uh, it's taken courage on your part, Coach, because uh, you've gotten a lot of criticism for this, uh, as I have. But it's part of my job description is to be criticized by people. (laughs) But part of your job decision is to uh, description is to win basketball games. So uh, you put yourself out there, and I just want you to know uh, that it's appreciated. And in regard to the uh, health epidemic that we talked about earlier. Most certainly, it's a health epidemic in the emergency room, uh, in the rehab uh, uh, parts of, 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 of the hospital. But I got to tell you, when high school and junior high school kids in my district come up to me and tell me that they're afraid that their school is going to be the next one to experience a school shooting, you know that it's affecting their health. It's affecting their mental health, their physical health, their ability to learn and, and perform uh, in school. So uh, this is this is an issue that that's affecting a lot of people that we all care about. I think it's important to acknowledge that there's there's no aspect, there's no one person, there's no there's no way to not be impacted by this. And and one of the things that I think about a great deal, you know, I was a I was an Amer- I was a, a student of, of history. I got my degree in history from UCLA and. I personally, I believe in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I, I think that those are our inalienable, inalienable rights and things that impinge upon that are, are a problem. And it is important for us to speak out about it. And Congressman, you use the word courage and, and coach. I want to pull that out and, and kind of bring that to you because that's a space that I think a lot of us, when we address the subject of gun violence and, and gun safety in the United States, we have to find our courage to talk about it. It's been it's been something that you've gotten better at, and I can clearly more confident with. Where now it's it's a part of it's a part of the work. When you have had the opportunity to work with other really influential people, and you you know being a coach in the NBA and being a well known personality, do people go down that same road with you? Are they trying to find their courage to try to find their voice, and do they come to you to say, Coach, can you help me? I see what you're doing. This is important to me. It's important to my community. I know that people that are affected by this look up to me and want to hear from me. Can you guide me on this? Does that work happen? It does. Yeah. I've had uh, several coaches um, come to me over the years and, and ask me for advice on speaking out because, you know, there, there's potential cost um, for, for coming out and saying something uh, that's controversial. And um, the cost is, it's never, um, it's never a personal cost in terms of your conviction, your belief that, but the easy part is speaking to your conviction. The hard part is understanding that there may be repercussion because maybe your employer disagrees with you. Uh, maybe, you know, you could potentially lose your, your job. I know it's probably easier for me as uh, a coach in the Bay area to speak out about this issue because most people in the Bay area, uh, agree with me. Um, it'd be much harder to be a coach in, in Texas or in Florida where maybe uh, gun rights are, you know, a much more uh, emotional issue and um, maybe emotional enough where it could cost somebody their job if they speak out too much. So I think uh, there is difficulty in, in, in sort of navigating everything um, as you're going through. I'm lucky enough to be in a position where, you know, I, I, I can confidently speak out and I know that I have the support of my employers um, and also know that I, this is what I believe. So I'm going to, I'm going to say it. There's, there's a lot of comfort in that too. There's a, there's a balance to be had there. And and it's, it's interesting that you call out that the kind of the permission from the employer, the de facto it's okay from the employer. I've thought about that as well, right? When I, when I speak on things and when I speak at rock the ride, I'm doing it as myself, but, you know, I have an employer. Uh, I work for a medical group in Sonoma County as well, and they know what I'm doing. And um, we all have to kind of walk that line. Congressman, are there ways in which you have had to intervene for someone who is trying to do the right work where an employer or someone with whom they have a relationship starts to leverage their power over that person to try to quiet them? Well, not so much that, but as you can imagine, I have some colleagues who were in some of those districts that the coach talked about, uh, where you know you any talk about guns is uh, is taboo, and I've had to talk to a lot of them, and a lot of them have come to me to ask 
uh, how should they talk about this issue uh, to to make sure that they are able to come back in the next next Congress so they can uh, they can uh, help pass good bills like like HR8. And, uh, and and that's happened quite a bit. Uh, a lot of folks just just want to know, you know, how, how, how do I do this or what phrases do I use? And I've had a lot of colleagues uh, ask me to come to their district because, as I think uh, all of you know, uh, I'm, I'm a gun owner. I support the Second Amendment. And uh, I've been to I can't tell you how many districts across the country on this issue. And um, many times it, it, it is uh, it's, it's helpful to my colleague uh, who, on whose behalf I go uh, to be able to say, hey, Mike's here. He's the author of this bill. Uh, he's a combat veteran who was shot up in combat and he's a gun owner. And, you know, he knows about these things. And and, it, you know, it takes a little bit of the uh, of the edge off. Coach, for you, you know, the congressman was just saying, you know, congressman, what you've been through as a veteran, too. We all experience hard moments when we're doing hard work. We all experience times where it just maybe feels like it's too much or it feels overwhelming. As a physician who is helping take care of COVID patients, I know I had moments like that. My colleagues have had moments like that. Coach, for you, when you're doing this advocacy work, you've been doing it for a while. Have you had those moments where it's feeling like it's too much, where it's feeling like, I, I don't see the road forward. This is feeling heavy. Maybe I don't want to do this anymore. Maybe I want to take a break. And as you felt that and experienced it, how have you moved through that? And I ask this, people, I think, do look to you as one of those voices who, if he can do it, so can I. I think a lot of us do run into those barriers and run into some inertia along the way and how we can acknowledge it, own it, not pretend it's not there, but then move through it, I think is really important. How have you experienced that? Yeah, so I've I've gotten discouraged for sure um, with each mass shooting that that is in the news. Um, we all get discouraged, um, but I think what uh, what I think about is um, we can't stop. We can't stop trying to at least uh, save some lives. You know, and and you know, Congressman Thompson's HR eight bill would do that. We we know that. There's proof of that. Um, if we could just get background checks instituted into our um, into our system, lives will be saved. And and uh, you know, having lost my own father to, to gun violence, uh, you know, our, I know what it feels like to lose someone. And and so every time I read about a mass shooting, I think about the names and the people. I don't think about the numbers. I think about the actual names of people and you know the mothers and fathers who are suffering and. And it's devastating, but that's also what drives me to continue to work, even though it gets discouraging when the Senate, for the second time, you know, is re refusing to even really look at HRA. It's um, it's unbelievably discouraging, but we can't we can't stop. We got to keep got to keep going. One of the things I think that for me, when I experience those moments too, is to think about how to take care of the South to to make sure that we're doing things so that you can stay fit, stay strong, mm -hmm. mentally, physically, and emotionally. Congressman, you've been doing this work for a long time. You've described a number of the barriers and, and, and things that have propped up that would be discouraging. You've had shootings take place in your district. It's been, it's been a part of your professional career. How do you take care of yourself so that you can do this work so that when you get hit by the darkness, you don't stop? Um, that doesn't happen in a vacuum. You have to take care of yourself. You have to look out for yourself and those around you. How, what are the things that have been important for you so that other people, when they feel that, can say, look, if it's working for the congressman who's doing this hard work, maybe this is something that I can try as well, that self-care. Well, in my office in Washington, D.C., I have a great photograph uh, hanging on, on the wall. And it's a picture that was taken right after we passed HR 8 in the last Congress. And there were a number of people outside the Capitol, uh, probably a couple hundred people from representing the different outside groups that support gun violence prevention work. And after the vote, we walked off the floor and we walked down the steps of the Capitol across the parking lot and we went out and we addressed that group. And um, the picture on my wall is the is a picture of myself and uh, a, a great friend and great colleague who's 
now passed, John Lewis. And John was uh, holding my arm. And uh, we walked down the stairs together with his arm in my arm and walked across the parking lot like that. And uh, I look at that picture and I remember John saying, you just got to keep going. And if something's important, you just got to keep going. And here's a guy who was beat nearly to death of fighting for voting rights. And he never stopped. And he just, if it was, if there was bad things happening, he was the voice of good. He tried to change those, those issues. And so that picture's hung proudly in my office and I, I had it blown up and it's a great reminder uh, that uh, we all, all of us have a responsibility. You know, we're not, we're not here just to take up space. You know, we, we need to, we need to leave this planet a little better off than, than uh, how we, we got it when, when, when we got here. So you just keep working on it and you know, it's the right thing. And you know, that if you're, if we're successful, we're going to save lives. And, and that's important to me. You know, the, uh, the, the, the victims that the coach talked about, he's, he's spot on, you know, that's, you know, 277 mass shootings, but don't get distracted by the number. There, there are faces behind that, that number. Uh, the, the, the victims who were killed or wounded, their families, their communities. Every time we've had a major mass shooting in this country, I've had, I guess, the, the, the honor of meeting with survivors. And I've talked to everyone, if it was uh, Las Vegas, if it was Pulse, I've talked to people who were there or the parents uh, who lost their children or the spouse who lost uh, their husband or, or, or wife. So this is, this is real personal. And, and people's lives have been disrupted. Uh, people have been hurt and harmed. And I think it's the responsibility of all of us to try and try and speak up, speak out, and and, and make some changes. The ripple of, of, of an act of gun violence is so profound. Some of the most indelible moments in my career has been meeting with families who inside the hospital their their family member expired because they were not. And those moments they. they they don't go away. And one of the things that I think in our profession we've struggled with is processing and supporting one another around moving through that process. And so, Coach, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to hear what is things for you when we think about survivorship, when we think about that ripple effect of, a, of an act of gun violence, acknowledging that it's going to impact so many people. How do we pick up on taking care of them? After the fact, how do we pick up on acknowledging the mental health impacts, on acknowledging the impacts on family and friends and, and all of these domains? How, what does that look and feel like? Well, I think it's one of the most important parts of this uh, advocacy. You know, when we talk about, um, you know, getting out and, and speaking out, uh, you know, for gun safety, speaking out against gun violence. Uh, one of the first things you have to acknowledge is just the mental health toll that this is taking, you know, not just on family members of victims, but just as as Congressman Thompson talked about, just students around the country, all these school shootings. Imagine what it's like to go walk into a classroom these days knowing that these things happen every year, that that somebody could, could possibly walk into to your classroom and mow you down with an AR-15, like that, that's a possibility. So what does that mean for all of our young generation? It, it means really tough mental health issues that you got to deal with, fear, anxiety, uh, depression, and all these things are a factor because this problem is so out of control. And so I think, I think the mental health aspect of it has to be one of the one of the highest items on the list to to bring up when when we discuss this issue, Congressman. When we think about that, all three of us are in 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 jobs and roles and responsibilities where people will confide in us as a congressman, as an NBA head coach, as a physician. There's some connective tissue there where people are going to just by virtue of the title after our name, they're going to say this is potentially someone that I can share things with and share things that I might not feel comfortable normally sharing them with. 
So for you, when those moments come up, we have to sort of steal ourselves. We have to kind of make ready because it's hard on us as well. But how do you provide a safe space for someone to know that, hey, I have some time with you. We've got all the time we need. This is an opportunity for us to share and for, for them to know that they can trust you and, and speak about what's important to them. And coach, I'll ask you the same question, but because uh, I think it's important when we have these opportunities that would make the most of them. But Congressman, I'll start with you. This creating that space for someone to confide, to share, and then to move forward better. Well, you know, I as I say, I, I've I've talked to survivors and and some victims in in virtually every tragedy that we've had since I've been working on this, and I, I think it's important to uh, to be a good listener and uh, to hear what 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 people have to say. And it's certainly important for them to know that you care and that you you want to do everything you can uh, to bring about change. Um, it, and you're right, it, it is tough. I, I, I did a, uh, a radio interview, I was on a panel, and there was a young high school girl that was part of the panel. And she told the story about um, at the uh, Marjorie Douglas uh, shooting in, in Florida, her cousin was, uh, I think, wounded there. And she went to Florida to be with her cousin. And she said, all I could think of on the way back was how fortunate I am to live in a nice neighborhood, a nice community in Virginia, where uh, something like this could never happen. And the next week in her class, a boy came in with a gun and murdered his girlfriend right in front of her. And you, you can't be ready to hear something like that. I, I don't care how tough guy you are or who you are, you know, that, that is a tragic situation that that young life was taken in front of all of those other young people. And it, it's going to take a toll. Uh, people are going to be scarred uh, because of that for the, for the rest of, of your life. So be a good listener, be supportive, be compassionate. And just let them know that you're you're trying to make the world a better place, and uh, and they're they're part of the reason why you're doing that. And coach, for you, if if one of your players comes into your office, or a member of the community wants to meet with you, or, or you know someone from the NBA wants to have a conversation, how do you create that space so that it can be an effective conversation, so that they can feel heard? What are the techniques that have been effective for you when the subject comes up, when someone wants to speak to you about a trauma that they've experienced? How does that work for you? Um, I think I think um, Mike is right in terms of just being a good listener. Um, but you know, we we've had plenty of visitors to Warriors games um, who were family members of um, gun gun violence um, victims. Um, I remember meeting with um, a a man and his two kids, and uh, the wife and mother of the kids. Um, was killed in the Las Vegas shooting. They were from Marin. They came to a Warriors game a week later and, you know, we're, we're trying to give them something to enjoy, something to feel good about. And um, for me, it, it, I guess it's a little bit easier because I have experienced it myself. And so when, if people know that, then they feel more comfortable speaking with me. If they don't, then it's something I share because um, that's a connection that, that is, um, is really powerful. And uh, so, I mean, there's no, there's no magic solution. It's just being human and being compassionate and, and open to listening and, you know, giving somebody a shoulder to cry on. And, um, but it's, it's awful, you know, it's, it's so, so, um, so sad to, to see people um, who are suffering like this, but that's why we, we continue the work. Yeah, that level of connection, it's interesting, as I was listening to you both speak about that, I was reflecting on how I might try to do that if I'm meeting with somebody in the hospital, or if the opportunity comes up to talk with somebody in the community. And, and there's a lot of connection there. You know, I think what you both express, this is, this is the, the standard that we just try to hold ourselves to of just being human and showing empathy, and, and giving space for, for listening. And I think it's a reflection of perhaps why the profession of medicine and professional sports and sports in general and politics, why there is that, I don't know, I feel like there's a, a comfort in working together. And I think for those who would 
not wish to see the work that we aspire to do happen, why they try to drive us apart with things like doctors need to stay in their lane, NBA players should shut up and dribble. I feel like it's we're we're obviously much more powerful to much more powerful together. And I think Rock the Ride sort of speaks to that, right? We're we're fusing this idea of advocacy around gun violence with being outside and and trying to walk or ride bikes or or and, and be together in a sense of community. Congressman, was it an intentional thing to to leverage the idea of sports and recreation alongside this advocacy work? Well, first, Mark. Um your critics need to up their game. I, I've been called a lot worse than all of those things. <laughs> well, you know, um, the, the, you, you, you spelled it out, how, how it happened uh, in regard to Rock the Ride. Uh, that's, that's how I get most of my uh, exercise these days, uh, either outside on a bicycle or inside on a spin bike. But um, we were on this ride and we rode past the veterans home and as you pointed out, we had three wonderful, youthful healthcare providers who were murdered. And one of them was a family friend of mine. And I said, we need to do something. And uh, the amazing Rebecca Koch was there and, and uh, does these rides. And, and uh, we started talking about it. The sheriff said, uh, let's do uh, burritos and bubbles. And it just kind of, in the next 10 miles, we, we, you know, we put this thing together. And it's been wildly successful. I think we had five, 600 people the first time. The second time we had 1,000 people. Uh, we've been uh, hobbled a little bit because we're doing it virtually last year uh, and this year. Next year, we'll do it live again. And uh, people will be out. You know, and, and we, made it, we, we, we made it not just bikes. We made it running and, and, and walking. And I think there's a five-mile bike ride. And, and we've just had tremendous uh, support from people, professional cyclists have come out and, and participated. Uh, this year, our special guest was going to be Marianne Martin, who was the first woman ever to win the Women's Tour de France. And uh, so there, there's support from all over, uh, all over the country for this. And, uh, and it just, it just, it works well. You know, you've got uh, athletics, you get outside, and get some fresh air and exercise. You've got a great cause. Some, you know, some good food and some good libations and a bunch of wonderful people who care about their community. It just works. The coach has been, he's been supportive all, all along. He's, he's, uh, uh, he's given us some great items for auctions and we've, uh, we, we've been able to really help some good organizations along the way. Can't wait to do it in person next year. It's going to be so much fun. I think everyone's sort of chomping at the bit. Our, you know, our state is just starting to reopen. And, you know, I think we made the right decision doing it virtually this year. But, boy, it's going to be really fun to get out there and, and all be together next year. Coach, as you move forward and as, you know, you have some time in the offseason, then you start to think about what happens in the next NBA season. And then we approach a midterm election. What sorts of events have you found to be the most resonant, not just for yourself, acknowledging that you're you're in? That are that are resonant for people who maybe haven't figured out those levers to find their their voice yet, or maybe don't want to to get involved or don't know how to get involved. What other sorts of events have you found resonant? Well, I think um, you know I've done a lot of different types of events. I've done sort of uh, private residence um, fundraisers where you know I've spoken in front of 40, 50 people uh, who are um, you know maybe people we're trying to raise money from. Um, I've done, um, you know, town halls at schools. Um, uh, I, I've done uh, bigger uh, corporate events um, with, with a you know, large number of people. I think the, the town halls at schools are probably the most powerful for me because you, you're hearing from kids who are in school basically expressing their fears um, for what might happen to them and what they've seen happen to other people. And uh, so I, I think it's uh, the the young people in this conversation are really the most uh, powerful and the ones who have the the most uh, opportunity to to change our country. That's why the March for Our Lives group has been just so amazing, opening up chapters all over the country, you know, fundraising, actually drawing up um, you know possible legislation that they would like to see happen. Um, so I've, I've supported their group and, and, uh, met with, with many of them over the years. 
and uh, really enjoyed just seeing the power of the younger generation. It's uh, it's that's what keeps me going in a lot of ways because I I know that they are they are pushing and they are they're powerful. Congressman, for you, when you think about the 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 younger generation, what are the things that that resonate the most for you? I'll share for for me what resonates the most is knowing that they're going to vote, um, that they're some of them may not be voting yet, but knowing that they're going to vote. We've got a midterm coming up in about 18 months, and, and the more and more of them will be able to register to vote. That's something that really sticks out for me, Coach, when I hear you speak about those meetings that you've had at various schools. I've got a five-year-old. Um, I want him to understand this issue as he gets older and matures. Obviously, I want to keep him safe um, as he starts kindergarten this year and, and moves on with his life. And I want to see my community, right? I, I live in the town I grew up, and I want to see that our community thrive, too. Congressman, for you, when you think about the the younger generations, those who are doing the work, who are just starting on that work, what are the best ways to support them? Well, I, I think about that a lot, and, and I do a lot to encourage young people uh, to get involved. Uh, I do. Uh, I have opportunities for uh, young people, high school on up, to do internships in, in my different offices. I, I do a student leader program every year uh, where uh, a group of high school students uh, participates. They participate in this program. We bring in community leaders to talk to them, uh, give them an, an opportunity to find out what different people do and what they can do if they uh, end up going into uh, this line of work. Uh, early on, when I when I first ran for the state senate, I, I made a promise that I'd visit a school a month, and. Uh, I've pretty much stuck to it. Sometimes you miss a month and you do two or three, you know, in, in another month. But I, I just think it's important to um, kids to, to visit with kids of all age. You know, the high school students, they've, they've got great questions. Junior high school have great questions. I, I even sponsor a, a reading a summer reading program. And I've done uh, at the request of different superintendents, uh, an I read to the congressman program for little kids. And, they don't know who I am, nor do they care. They, they just know it's, a, it's somebody with a, who wears a suit to work. And um, it, 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 it's it, allowing them to, you know, interact with with, with adults. And uh, it has been great. And, and and you're right. Some of the some of the more inspiring uh, moments are with students. I remember uh, two in particular. One over in, in Ronert Park, where I was asked to come in and talk about gun violence. And the students, and they really went to town. They they uh, they researched all the shootings, all of the, uh, the the victims. They had their names printed out and up on all the walls. Uh, they they knew this stuff better than most adults. And I was asked to to speak to a class, a high school class in Middletown, up in up in Lake County, and it's a more more rural area. And I was real impressed when uh, the the student council, uh, I think it was the, the student body president, introduced me, and he said, uh, he said, you know, he said, we're a rural area. Everybody in Lake County knows guns, has guns. He said, uh, and we you know when a school in, a, in an urban area has a, an event about gun violence prevention, it's to be expected. So we just thought if we did it in rural Lake County, it would be a little out of the ordinary. And we wanted people to know that even kids, even students in rural America who own guns and know about guns, we think we need to do something needs to be done about this. So we thought just have more, more impact. And, and that's, that's pretty impressive that, you know, that kids are thinking like that. And, and you know, you walk out of there thinking we're going to be okay in the future. We've got some great young people uh, who are who are coming up, and uh, they're going to be the next doctor, the next coach, the next congressman, and uh, and we've got some very talented people up there to to guide us. Coaches, speaking work and traveled around the country. Have you ever taken that opportunity to maybe, in, with intention, be in front of an audience that may not have expected that you were going to be there, or may not be as open or ready to have these sorts of conversations? Is that something that comes easy to you? Is it something you have to be really specific and deliberate about? Uh, I haven't really been in that position, Mark, because most of, uh, most of the events that I've done have been, um, you know, with people who kind of are like-minded. 
Uh, I guess a couple of the town halls, uh, you know, maybe um, a couple of the kids may have spoken up um, um, in terms of just Second Amendment issues, gun rights. And, and that's where the education really comes in, you know, uh, educating ourselves uh, on this issue so that we can have these more difficult conversations when somebody might bring something up from the other side. Um, I, I think the most powerful way to, to really refer to this, um, you mentioned it right off the top of the bat, is that this is a health, public health crisis. Um, one, of the, one of the best things I've ever read was in the New York Times Magazine, maybe five, six years ago, comparing uh, gun violence to uh, automobile um, deaths. Um, and uh, the, the, the comparison is, is interesting because over the last 50 years, we have reduced uh, automobile-related deaths by about 90%. Uh, and we've done that really through obvious measures, seatbelts, car seats, uh, you know, speed limits, um, airbags in, in cars, you know, regulations on cars that make them more safe, all that stuff. So 90% um, we have reduced the automobile related deaths. So you think about how that relates to, to guns. Um, we're not saying you take everybody's guns away. We're saying, you know what, if you have a gun, you should probably have to get a, a license like you do a driver's license, you know, and Maybe the guns could be built in a safer capacity um, to protect children, especially in, in the home of uh, maybe a gun owner. Um, and there's all kinds of, of things, you know, background checks, of course, uh, HR8, um, so many uh, things that we could talk about that would 100% save lives and yet protect your right as an American citizen to the Second Amendment. Um, it's common sense. It, it, it's simple common sense. And so at least having a common sense discussion with people who may be on the other side, then maybe you'll be able to sway some opinion. But ultimately, uh, and Mike mentioned this already, it's, uh, you know, it's going to come down to the Senate actually helping get these safety measures in place so that we can save lives. The, 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 the rational way with which you brought all those things forth. I mean, it really resonates and it, it's, 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 it's just powerful. And I think that the, that description is a good one to just sort of keep in the back pocket so that we can all feel empowered to have those conversations to just step into that tension with someone who maybe we don't feel like wants to hear it. And I think that you also mentioned what I think all of us acknowledge and recognize that to drive this, it's going to take legislation at the national level. And to do that, we are going to need to pull the biggest lever we've got, which is to be able to vote. We're going to have a midterm coming up next year. We've got lots of voter registration things that will happen. Um, physicians, I know, are finding their voice and their ability to help people get registered to vote. But I think that the tools that you have all that you have both laid forth for us, I think, are just so impactful in the perspective that you can both give to this. It's so meaningful. and it, The stuff that really resonates, especially around just pushing forward and, and sticking it out as we as we continue with this work. As we wrap up, obviously, I want to say thank you to both of you. Um, this was a really remarkable and a really unique opportunity to kind of bring these, what may look on the surface, disparate professions with different approaches and acknowledge that we're actually trying to do the right work in the same way. And I think there's tremendous value there. So, Coach, thank you so much. And, Congressman, you've been such a great leader in putting this all together. I want to give you the, the opportunity to kind of take us home as we wrap up our virtual Rock the Ride 2021, knowing that we're all going to see each other in person next year. Well, Mark, thank you. Again, you've done a marvelous job in, uh, in, in hosting this. Uh, Coach, thank you. Uh, you've, you've been great. You've been a great supporter and, and leader uh, in, in this regard. And I, I feel bad every time I send you a text message, I'm thinking, is he going to say enough? I'm done with this stuff. <laughs> but, uh, you, you answer, you're, you're right there. And, yeah. and as I said, it's, uh, it, it takes a lot of courage on your part. Uh, so thank you. And uh, thanks to everyone who came out for Rock the Ride. And uh, as the good doctor said, uh, next year, saddle up because we're going to do it in person. Uh, it's going to be fun and we're going to break the thousand mark. Uh, we're going to get a lot more people to turn out. So uh, be safe. Uh, enjoy yourself. And again, uh, let's uh, let, let, let's uh, let's prevent gun violence. Let's keep our work going and and let's uh, make this happen. So thank you all. Thank you both. Congressman, thank you. Coach Kerr, thank you so much. Thank you to Rebecca Koch and Ride Napa Valley for putting this together. And thanks to all of the wonderful members of 
Coach Kerr's media team, Congressman Thompson's media team, who really helped pull this together at late notice. We would not have been able to pull this off without you. Gentlemen, this was a real treat and a privilege, a great opportunity to learn from both of you. Thank you both so much. Thank you, Mark. Thanks so much. My thanks once again to everyone at Rock the Ride, to Congressman Mike Thompson and to Coach Steve Kerr for being a part of this incredible event. I am so proud to have been able to join in this discussion and be a part of it. This is meaningful work and I am just filled with pride and enthusiasm around the ongoing work, acknowledging that it is hard, it's difficult, and it is worth doing. Thank you also to Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring this episode of Explore the Space podcast. Learn more about Creighton's Executive MBA and Executive Fellowship programs at www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E. Thank you also to the Clinician Experience Project by Practicing Excellence for sponsoring this episode. The Clinician Experience Project provides enterprise-wide healthcare coaching and development solutions for clinicians, leaders, and teams to improve patient connection, team collaboration, and leadership effectiveness. Organizations see significant results when participants spend a mere five minutes per week building skills through app-delivered programs. To learn more, visit www.practicingexcellence.com. And thanks so much to you for listening to this episode. It's always an honor to know that people are listening to Explore the Space podcast, but in particular this episode, this is really meaningful work. It's important to me. The public health epidemic of gun violence in the United States is not going away. It demands attention. It demands action. And for you to spend some time learning and hearing what this conversation had and then taking it forward is extraordinarily meaningful and much appreciated. So thank you very much. We will be back soon with more great content. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.